weekend is not complete without the First Lady of New York Radio. It's the Joan Hamburg Show. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Welcome to the Joan Hamburg Show. And I've got a lot of good guests, good friends lined up for you today. And I hope you all had a wonderful Thanksgiving. Do you know that on Monday, I went to Fairway to, we, we are having too many people, but you know, I, the rule for all the holidays is now the new rules. Not only do you have to be vaccinated, but you have to have a COVID test within 24 hours. So anyway, a lot of people. So I had ordered a 20 pound turkey but I figured I better get one more, a big turkey breast or something like that. So I went to Fairway. There is a Fairway in my neighborhood. They, it was like locusts. They, there were no turkey breasts. They were out of almost everything. I couldn't even get parsnips, which I use when I'm making gravy because they add sweetness. It was just crazy. That, and the, um, one of the guys in Fairway said, well, you're late. I said, I am? He said, yeah, you're late. We're almost all out of turkeys, but there had to be a turkey shortage or something. because And they were expensive. You know, I was there looking through the um, meat, chicken, turkey cases, and they had two single lamb chops in the uh, case. Not big fancy, big fat ones, you know, like two rib lamb chops. $55 for two rib lamb chops. I thought that, I mean, you can tell me. I thought that was um, pretty expensive. Anyway, it's okay. I walked home. We mashed up like 15 boxes of Ritz crackers for the famous stuffing. It's funny, my son called from L.A. And he said, you know, I was showing my daughter something about her grandmother and I clicked your name on the internet. He said, you're not gonna believe what came up. I said, what? He said, Joan Hamburg broadcast something, Ritz Cracker's famous recipe. Did, did you look at that? You wrote that? He thought that was the funniest thing, that he couldn't believe it. So then my granddaughter said, well, I'm not gonna make that because I don't like that. But she said, and I was telling them here, I'm going to make cinnamon buns. I said, you are? How do you make, what's the dough? Now, don't forget they live in L.A., which is very Spanish in many ways. She said, I go with Daddy and I buy tortillas. And I flatten them out and I put butter, cinnamon, sugar, and roll them up, and I put them in the toaster oven, and they are delicious. That's from the kid. So you know what? It sort of made me hungry for that because it's sweet. I would love that. I think I'm going to do that today. I said, I don't even know where you get tortillas. I guess you can get them in any market, right? I don't think I've ever had. What do you use them for? Casadillas or things like that. All right, I'm going to go do that. And I'm going to let you know how delicious they are. Anyway, I totally got off track because I have to tell you who's coming up today. My old pal, Jill Rappaport, who is the animal whisperer, and God bless her, she makes products, she has leashes that light up, she is a star and particularly when it comes to rescue. And she was telling me that a lot of people during the pandemic adopted dogs and cats and they wanted pets, which I can understand because they didn't want to be alone. You know, I had a friend who said, I'm alone. And I can't tell you what a difference having a dog makes. I hear the sound of a voice. I talk to someone in something and it made me very sad. But she said, the dog really saves my life. But Jill 
said that there are two categories of dogs that have a very hard time getting adopted. One, old dogs. If it's a large dog, it starts at seven. If it's a little dog, they're considered old at nine, nine and a half. Those are tough because people want puppies. They don't realize what trouble puppies are, you know, especially if they're already going to work or doing something. And she said the other category are black dogs. I said, I never heard of that. Why would someone not adopt a black dog? Well, she said they never look warm and cuddly and friendly in photographs. She didn't understand why. Maybe it's that the color fades out, but she said it's a problem. And they were trying to get, a, what was it, a six-year-old or a seven-year-old? Adorable black. It looked like a lab. It was sort of a lab at a pit bull mixture. Anyway, Jill Rappaport is coming on. And I had talked to the Fonz earlier a couple of weeks ago, a couple of months ago, and he was so adorable, and we got such a good response that we're going to treat you to a holiday gift and reintroduce you to Henry Winkler. Plus, I'm going to share a restaurant that I fell upon by chance. Absolutely loved it. One of the better meals I've had. Well, I haven't had a lot of meals during the pandemic out, but really good. So we're going to share that restaurant with you. And then I'm going to share with you some of the holiday specials that are all over the city now. So we've really got a jam-packed show. And, of course, Happy Hanukkah, everyone. And we had told you last time how you can make potato pancakes or do that. One of our producers, Jen, was saying her mother makes the best potato pancakes well, we would love to eat that right now. But instead of eating that, listen, because the Joan Hamburg Show is straight ahead. Enjoy. Happy Hanukkah. And we'll meet again every Sunday starting at 2 o'clock. The First Lady of New York Radio. This is Joan Eats. I'm very excited to tell you about, for me, a real restaurant find. It was by accident. I was literally walking on Fifth Avenue after the dentist, and I was going to meet a friend. And she said, come meet me on 66th Street. No reason. And I turned on 66th Street, and a 22 East 66th Street was this charming enclosure. You know, if you come into New York City, every street practically is wall-to-wall. These enclosures, some of them are attractive, some of them aren't. This one looked like the most beautiful garden. And even though it was cool outside, it was so charming. They have an inside, too, but we sat outside, and we were just going to have like a coffee but it was so delicious. This little restaurant outside, larger inside, called Avena, A-V-E-N-A. It's owned by Northern Italian chef Roberto Diaco, and they serve lunch and dinner Monday through Sunday. It's a modern Italian restaurant. In fact, the chef, Roberto, was the executive chef at Armani, they have a very good restaurant, Fifth Avenue, and Cipriani. And he came to New York in 2013. I'm telling you guys, the meal was fantastic. And better was the service. We sat down, and within two minutes, this charming young woman came out, and we had not even ordered yet, and put little steaming cups of soup like a butternut squash. It was just delicious. And with wonderful, fresh, hot bread right from the oven. Fantastic. So that was a goodie. And by the way, at the end of the meal, I love dessert, but I tried not to order it. They brought over anyway. Fabulous little cookies. So for lunch, I had a hearty vegetable soup with speck. Did you ever eat speck? It's an Italian charcuterie. 
and it was so crisp. It like crumbled with delicious mouthfuls into the soup or into your spoon. And they had everything to start with if you wanted that big a lunch. Crisp fried calamari with langoustine and shrimp and crab croquettes. And they had bronzino tartare and beautiful salads, shaved baby artichoke, avocado, aged parmesan. And for the main courses, a spectacular ravioli or a risotto. And there was a young group of Italian girls, and they were speaking Italian. That's how I knew they were Italian. And beautiful young women, and God bless them, they ordered, all of them, olive oil poached lobster with tomato brandy flavored, a sauce, sautéed spinach and chickpeas. There wasn't a speck on any plate. There were five of them, and they lick their plates. And they had hearty, there were a table of guys sitting on the other side, they had lamb loin. Some of them had veal chop. I know it was rude to look, but I couldn't stop. Duck two ways and a lot of Italian choices, a very thin spaghetti with seafood. Really delicious, not inexpensive. The appetizers are in the 20s and early 30s. I had the appetizer for lunch. The main courses are 30s, 40s, but it's an experience. You know, I don't usually urge people to go to very high-priced restaurants. This place is special. I don't know how I've missed it. And then dinner, too, is full of amazing choices, things I know you're going to love. So check it out for dinner or for lunch. It's called Avena, and it's for something special. Lovely for lunch, lovely for dinner. It. The, my friends went at 6.30. It was very quiet. But by 7.30, 8 o'clock, she said the place was booming. 646-596-8447. Chef-owned. Very, very special. So I'm curious to hear once you go. It was like, how could we have missed this? And obviously, people know about it, but we just fell upon it, and it was a welcome fall. So enjoy a wonderful restaurant and share it with your friends. I'm Joan Hamburg. The First Lady of New York Radio, Joan Hamburg. Entertaining and informative. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Welcome, everyone, to the Joan Hamburg Show. And you know Jill Rappaport. Jill is the award-winning animal advocate. She does 12 million things. She's got more dogs. Every time you take a look, there's a new one that she couldn't resist. She does very interesting things when it comes to the whole world of media, to the animal world. She's got a new venture now. She's teamed up with a new dog food company called Sundays for Dogs. And the reason that she's doing this is to help the kind of dogs that are very hard to get adopted. Older dogs, Black dogs. You know, I never even heard of that. I had no idea. But one of our producers, Jen, said, you don't know, it's been on my wish list because no one wants to adopt a black dog. She said, I've always wanted to adopt. Is that, Jill, that people think they're vicious or they're afraid of them? Joan, first of all, so great to talk with you, and thank you so much for having me on the show to shed a light on this plight. It's unbelievable, Joan. Many years ago, when I was doing stories about all of these animals in need, it was Emmy Lou Harris who told me about black dog syndrome. I, like your producer, had no idea what that was. I said, what do you mean black dog right. syndrome? What, what we that? actually went to a shelter in Nashville, and Joan, I couldn't believe it. Every other dog, it was either a pit bull or a black right. dog, a pit, pit bull or a black dog. And would you believe they don't get adopted because of the color of their fur? And why is that? They don't photograph well. 
That's the whole reason. So when you see them online or in pictures, you cannot see the eyes, the expression. And that's the only reason they're languishing in shelters across the country. And Emmy Lou actually wrote a song about it by Big Black Dog. And it is an unbelievable situation. So when Sundays came to me and they had the idea for the first part of this in honor of Black Friday, let's pay homage to Black Dog Syndrome. And I said, okay, I'll do that. I'm so honored to be your spokesperson, but I also want to make it Cyber Senior Monday because that's one of my seniors in the background going right on, Mom, uh, because seniors, as you know, have the toughest time getting adopted. So it's so great for the holidays. You know I'm all about shop till you drop for the holidays. Well, now it's shop till you adopt. (laughs) Oh, I like that. That's a good one. But let me ask you, how old my dog, Annie, Annabelle, is nine and a half. Right. She's like a puppy. I mean, she runs like the wind. She plays nonstop with her toys and her ball. So how old is old? Yeah, sadly, for a big dog, senior age is considered at seven and up. And for a smaller dog, it's nine. I mean, you know, since COVID, I've lost three of my fur angels. And our last one, CJ, you remember our Havanese. She passed away. She was never sick a day in her life. She literally had a heart attack at 20 years old. She lived till 20 without ever being sick. And that's all we could ever hope for in our lives. But it's terrifying. We love these dogs so much. And, you know, with this campaign... Joan, you know ARF, uh, the Animal Rescue Fund out in the the Hamptons. Yeah, our canine uh, companion and our canine master for this whole campaign is a dog by the name of Monica, who has been sitting in ARF for five years. She's nine years old. She's black. She's a senior, and she's a pit bull mix. I'll tell you, it just breaks my heart. Not a good combo, right. It scares me. It's so sad, and I wish people would understand that, you know, don't look at a dog's age. Like people, I say that to men, I meet too, don't look at my age. (laughs) (laughs) But literally, people need to look past the age because like my dog, CJ, when you take in these older animals, and I try to always rescue older they, let, they live on. They know they've been saved in the twilight of their lives. And I think you would be so surprised and happy that they could live well into their teens. So with this campaign, great dog food company, all natural, human grade, you really need to look at these animals and consider opening up your hearts and homes to them. Right. And, you know, if I take Annie, Annabelle, to the park, I see a zillion black labs. You know, it's amazing. There's a oh. lot of them around. I don't mean rescue. I mean, people, you know, they're people's dogs. Yeah, well, you know, and I'll tell you something. When I did the story with Emmy Lou, I actually went on the Today Show set. I had black lab puppies that were having trouble getting adopted. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine? No. I am telling you. And, you know, it was very interesting, Joan, because we photographed Monica just last about 10 days ago. And I found from that certain pictures... You know, I couldn't see her soul with her eyes. And, you know, these black dogs, they have hazel in their eyes. It's all about the photography. So we made sure the picture on the campaign is so beautiful. I'm hugging her. But the sunlight hit her eyes. And I said, you know, she was like panting but happy. And she was smiling. It's all about the photograph because so often they look a little standoffish, a little scared, and you can't see any features. So that's the whole reason for black dog syndrome. And it's just ridiculous and crazy that they're the ones waiting for a home in shelters across the country. I know. Poor dog. Now, what dogs do you have now? Have you uh, got a new well, one? Well, I have. You heard my little doxy in the background, Oscar Meyer. Is that a new uh, and one? And I rescued him at eight years old. He's now 13. Uh-huh. I have Scout, my coonhound, who's almost five. And Stanley, you know, my standard, standard poodle. standard, right. Y- you remember Stanley, who dances with me. I'm going to uh-huh. start a show with him, Dancing with the Dogs. He's right. nine. Uh, but I literally lost my beloved Ruby, my Pitbull Petey, uh, you know, all within was, a year and a half. A and then CJ. was a dog, right? Petey was a large-sized dog. And my sweetest. He was left tied to a tree in Harlem, and nobody wanted him. He was so big, 120 pounds. And when I rescued him, he was only 60. He was so sick. But I have to tell you, he was my sweetest, 
he was my big mush, yeah, and big. nobody wanted him because they were afraid because of he looked. They thought, oh, Pitbull, he's mean, and he was my angel, just the sweetest. Yeah, Pitbulls still have the worst reputation, and it's really not the dogs, it's the people. It's the people, you know, and it's called, listen, we cannot make light of the stories that we've heard, you know, but again, they're amplified on the news, and they're when they're horrific, they are horrific. I mean, we can't make light of that, but I have to tell you, the whole thing with Pitbull prejudice, it's really horrible, because... I have owned pit bulls, and like I said, Petey, they're wonderful. Helen Keller, I mean, very well known that Helen Keller uh, grew up with pit bulls, and they can be wonderful, marvelous therapy dogs. It's all the hands that they've been with in their lives and how they've been treated. But listen, my doxy, you know, he came from an unusual background, and he had some issues when I got him. It's not about the breed. It's the situation, and people need to look past that and, and look at the dog. And so often a dog can have an issue, and when you open up your heart and home to them and give them love, then they become the loving pet they've always wanted to be. Right. Now, do you still have all your horses? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's funny because, yeah, they're, they're seniors, too. They're in their 20s. They have the best life. Just, you know, I'm, I'm actually looking out into the pasture now. And, Joan, you know my horses. I, I, people crack up when they come here because they are like big dogs. If they could live in the house, I know they would. If I ever, if the gate was ever open and my door was open, I know for sure I'd find Ranger in this house because well. he's like a big lap dog. But yeah, I um, my animals are my oxygen, you know, and and rescue and adoption. I mean, I just, you know, you know how I am my whole life. I just feel so, you know, motivated by trying to get them a, a home and trying to make them as happy as possible. And if I can get Monica, this dog from our the black, who, the uh, lab yes, table. if we could, Joan, uh, the, your listeners, if you're listening. Go on to ARF's website. Take a look at Monica. Five years she's been sitting there. If we can get her a home for the holidays, then that will be the best gift I could ever give myself this holiday season and this dog so she can live out her life with the love and attention that she so deserves. And she's housebroken and all those things that yes, you can't get with a and she's a, a sweetheart. Pup. You know, when I took that picture, imagine, she's been in a shelter for five years. I'm She's meeting me for the first 10 seconds, and I'm putting my arms around her, and she's licking me and playing with me. And you know what? She, all because of the way she looks and her breed, people are like, they're not adopting her. They're not going there to look at her. They want the young, cute, fluffy puppies. Yeah, and meanwhile, yeah. Monica is just the sweetest thing. Well, there, there's going to be some family that's going to want a nice-sized dog with a great disposition who they don't have to train. You forget yes, puppies and, and are so much work. I tell people this, Joan, listen— you know, I, I worked on Puppy Bowl for years. I tell the backstories of these dogs. Then we did Dog Bowl, which was Puppy Bowl for seniors. I tell people all the time, puppies are very cute, but literally they can do a lot of damage. The housebreaking can take years, if ever. I mean, listen, my Ruby was never housebroken. I know, never. You know that. And I would rather have a couch potato than one that eats the couch. And, you know, when they're older, they've been there, done that, you know, and they know the, what they're supposed to do. And I tell people all the time, especially, you know, people that are in their 40s or 50s, you know, go for a senior. And if people are much older than that, go for a dog at least four years and up. And, you know, people, if you have a new baby in your home, your new parent, you don't also want a puppy because then you've got two babies, you know, and if people need to understand it's all about their lifestyle, what animal is best for them and what age. But I can promise you at least consider three and up and hopefully seven and up. And, I, you know, don't look at the age. That's what I tell people all the time because they will surprise you how long. I mean, most of my dogs, I've been very fortunate, have lived well into their teens. And like I said, CJ, on record, was 20. So, you know, again, I was very blessed, but that can happen. And look at Annabelle. You just got done saying she's nine years old and nine she's like and, a puppy. Yeah, nine and a half, like a puppy. Yeah, so, it, you know, it's so great. And, Joan, you know, since you, you've lost Skip and everything, but what about the comfort that Annabelle has given you? Oh, I'm telling you, that we say Skip's legacy because she doesn't want anyone to come near us. She has... She is the Lord protector 
of the house. And, of course, we've spent a lot of time out on the east end of Long Island. And what is happier for a dog than to be able to run on the beach, to sit in the yard whenever she wants? And and also, we know how Skip felt about that dog. I oh, mean, you used to joke all precious. the time that he loved her as much as you, if not more. More, more. <laughs> you remember he would call precious, and we'd all look up and say yes. And you know he wasn't referring to you. Not at all. It was the dog. <laughs> but but look at the joy and the comfort. And I can tell you, during COVID, when we couldn't go out, we couldn't see anybody, I couldn't visit my mother a year and a half before I could see her. Who did I have? I'm not married. I don't have children. I had my pets. My pets got me through this. My rescue dogs, my horses, they got me through. They were my comfort. And so many people relied on their pets. And that was the only positive thing about COVID is that adoption was right. up people during COVID. That. People wanted companions. They needed pe- animals to give them comfort and joy. And we know firsthand what they do for us. Well, it's true. Now, if only you could teach your dogs to cook, you'd really have something. <laughs> oh, oh, heaven forbid. I mean, listen, when I even go into the kitchen, they look at me like, oh. Yeah, what's she doing there? <laughs> Do they understand candy? Yeah, candy, and, and, well, they they don't understand why the oven is used to store shoes and boots. But uh, (laughs) literally, it's a storage place. I said the only time I've ever felt heat in the kitchen is if I was fighting with a boyfriend. Uh, You know, I've never learned to cook. In fact, Joan, I think I once called you. I was trying to make soup, and I was asking you about boiling the water and when to put the ingredients, and I, you I said, oh, I know, I know, trouble, <laughs> trouble. And, and Jill does love good food. You loved Jonathan Spellman's meatloaf. Oh, uh, well, before I became, I don't eat, I haven't eaten meat since then. I know, of I gave up not meat, his but- fault, you just did it. It was so, I remember with that glaze sauce, yeah, right? And I love salmon. Glaze. I love when we go out here to the fish, you know, our fish place. I, I love a good piece of salmon. But again, I don't know how to cook. I don't want to tempt you. You're a fabulous cook. Yeah, Your I, soups, everything. Yeah, I cook a lot, but I got sick of it. My daughter has really, she cooks and she is, you know, eats the healthiest food. I said Lizzie never met tofu she didn't like. Yeah, she was always like that. I remember at Canyon Ranch, you know, I was the only one that managed to find the junk food at Canyon Ranch, whether it was the frozen yogurt or the cakes or whatever. And Lizzie was always like... Oh, I used to look at her and I said, do you really enjoy eating that? She does. (laughs) She, you know, rail thin, an unbelievable athlete and, you know, always eat healthy. But see, that's great. I mean, that's why she's in great shape. And, you know, her latest sport is what they're all doing. We should try it. Is it pickleball? Oh, my gosh. She loves that. Before it became hot, I bought her for her birthday pickleball rackets from a little sporting goods store in East Hampton. And she and her pals play pickleball wherever they can get a court. You know what? My neighbor down the street, we have dogs, we walk together. And uh, she, uh, almost two years ago, told me about pickleball. I go, what the heck is that? This was before anybody knew what it was. It is the rage, isn't it? It's the rage, and it's easier than tennis. It's like playing with an oversized ping pong racket. You'll try it. I think you're going to enjoy it. Anyway, been, Jill, you know what? I don't think it's for me. You know, <laughs> I'd rather eat the pickles than play pickleball. <laughs> no, I know, but you you will enjoy. What else are you up to before I let you go? Oh, you know, I've just I, I'm I'm getting into the e-commerce world, pet products with a purpose, and everything I do, which is why this connection with this wonderful uh, Sundays for Dogs dog food company is so important because everything I do now, if it's a product, I want it to have a purpose. So every product, including products I've created, Joan, I've got to bring you my new leash line, Shine a Light on Rescue. Very exciting. LD, you can see Annabelle a mile away. You know, uh, that's a good, a good idea. I like that. Cause yeah, I sometimes... no, I'm really trying to make it that everything that I come out with or partner with, it has a purpose, and the purpose meaning to shine a light and to save a life. Okay. Um, I think that today, you know, people want to be encouraged if they're going to spend money, that their money is going to a place that means something. It's not just a random purchase anymore. So I'm, I really have always been into, well, hey, you know me with shopping. So I figured, I all right, Are I'll you buy still, my love, right? You're shopping still? Uh, Not as much. I've got too many mouths to feed on four legs, but I've made it my mission to create really cool products and 
partner with people like uh, Sundays uh, that really make a difference for animals. So I'm I'm very excited to start this new venture in my life. You know, COVID, Why I really had to you. reflect and look back what's important. And it changed all of us, it's didn't true. it, Joan? Well, I, I said it's never going to be the same again. I mean, no. I was lucky in that I had my daughter who, you know, how often do you have a grown-up child? They go off to college or whatever, and, you know, and they're gone, even though we're still a tight family. But having her, it, it was a gift, you know, that will probably never happen again when we all live with our families. At least we hope we don't have any more pandemics or anything like that. And you were coming up so, off such a horrible loss. Literally, yeah. Skip passed away just weeks before COVID. No, it was just starting. In fact, two they, weeks, in right? Re- uh-huh. Two, they felt in retrospect that COVID did him in. You know, oh, that he wasn't I... in great shape, but they fairly knew what COVID was then it was starting and they had this mysterious virus but later they said they had a feeling that that's what anyway whatever you know what we have to um, try to pick ourselves up and go on with our lives and make a difference in the that's community. what I've been trying and to do and it, it changed me this whole time really changed me uh, you know how you look at things you know, you know me, Joan. I used to get crazy over stupid stuff. And, you know, you used to say, calm down, calm down. And at the time, you don't think. You know, you're upset. You know, you, you, you. And then when I look back, I'm like, what a waste of energy. Who I cares? I know. Well, that's, <laughs> yeah. we've and always think, tried to tell you that. I have to it, tell you something funny. It was called the other day. So I went to a closet that I rarely go to. And there lined up were all your old boyfriend's jackets. You would give them these fancy polo. I thought you were going to say a closet of my old boyfriend's shrunken head. No, not that too. But I, there was one jacket after another. And remember, you would give them these fabulous jackets, and then you'd break up with them and take the jackets back. So. I don't remember that. I try to forget them, no. if you know what I mean. But no, remember, I used to get you. You had this one leather jacket I got you. you do you still I'm, wear of it? Of course I'm still wearing that jacket. Oh, my goodness. Was, you are the most practical person, Joan. Well, you, you know, I remember, we, you know, we would talk about it, and I'd say, you should get this, or you need this, and you say, ah, who cares? Who cares? I know, no, you're right. It was great. Less is more. Who l- wants these less, crowded closets less anymore? Less is more. And the thing is, most of us, and I feel so much for retail, are wearing the same Schleffer clothes for the last year and a half. I know. Well, you know, that's what I love about Kate Middleton, first of all. She would always repeat those gorgeous dresses. Granted, we couldn't afford one of those dresses, but she was the beginning of that whole, it's cool to recycle and wear again. And I'm all about that. And, you know, hey, we were always about that anyway. If you had a favorite pair of jeans or a favorite sweater, you wore it over and over again. You wore it with different people. But I am all for that now. You know, recycling. And again, if I put my money anywhere, it's going to save a life you know well, a i'm very so, proud of you you're well, doing a you. great job and we'll talk again very soon yes yes hopefully we'll we'll see each other I in the hamptons and uh, you'll make me some food i will i'll cook for you but no meat right no chicken no meat no meat no chicken and Fish. i can bring you those extra supersized candy bars from the 7-eleven <laughs> that's jill's favorite store <laughs> my favorite place to eat i know 7-11. some some women love Prada. Jill loves 7-Eleven. In the beginning, it used to be those giant hot dogs. Oh, gosh. I know. It made the, that makes me nauseating just thinking about it. But did I love those supersized chocolate bars? I, well, that's I learned a lesson. That's what you go to 7-Eleven for. Enjoy the rest <laughs> of the day. We'll talk soon. Thank you so much, Joan. All the best. Jill Rappaport. Okay. I'm Joan Hamburg. We're going to take a break, and you're listening to WABC. Taking you behind the curtain, it's the Joan Hamburg Show. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Welcome, everyone, to the Joan Hamburg Show. I've got a real treat for you today. Two fabulous guests, Henry Winkler and Lynn Oliver. And you know, it's interesting. My producer engineer and I were talking about um, Mr. Winkler earlier on, and he said, you know, I can't believe that those books, and he was familiar with the books, were all written with Henry Winkler. I said, 
a Renaissance man. Nothing but the best guests do we get. And Lynn Oliver, who describes her childhood where she and her sister had pink and green hair because their mom constantly dressed them alike and they hated it. So they both come a long, interesting way to celebrate a brand new book from that duo, Henry Winkler and Lynn Oliver, Alien Superstar, Hollywood versus the Galaxy. And I know it's a well a children's book, sort of middle school book, but I'm telling you, it's for everyone. It's funny as can be. It's a great read. And of course, I sat up the other night thinking, this is for my granddaughter, but there I am laughing and glued to it and feeling if I were a kid, I would really feel good if I read this book because I wouldn't feel like I was alone or I was different or I couldn't do anything. I would start to value the things that make each person special. So congratulations. Thank you. It's really great. And Lynn, we'll start with you. Just like Henry, who sort of knew what he wanted to do from the time he was a kid, you really knew you wanted to tell stories and be a writer from the time you were a kid. Absolutely. That's, it's one of my earliest memories that I always wanted to be a writer. In fact, I, I tell the story that when I was little, literally like two years old, I would go up and down our block in Burbank where I was raised and knock on people's doors and say, do you want to know what happened at our house last night? So my <laughs> my parents were not thrilled with that behavior. <laughs> I'm there, sure. There were no, when you live with a writer, even if the writer is two years old, there are no secrets. Right. And and Henry, you described your childhood, you said, which I loved, you grew up with a high level of low self-esteem and that <laughs> academics were not your strong suit in those years. No, I, I literally am, uh, I'm clocked in at, in the bottom 3% academically in America. <laughs> but you stepped over that 3%. Do you know why I went, what, what what we write about is that how you learn has nothing to do with what you can achieve, with uh, how brilliant you are. Yeah, but it's sometimes a hard journey to get to that point. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. And But I think sometimes that hard journey literally um, prepares you for the battle in life. Yeah, well, you're making a good point, but when you were just a kid, it was eighth grade, I think I read, you were in a high school play, and instead of going into the family lumber business, which the parents dreamed of, you sort of knew that this was the path you were going to take. It is really true, and... Here it is. When you know what you want without ambivalence, you just keep walking toward your dream. And eventually you get there. And here I am with Lynn. This is our our 37th novel together. And I never in a million years thought I could be part of a team that would write one. Right. Let alone all. And so successful. But Ben, how did you and Lynn in different worlds come together? How did you even know that you were going to do this? Very simply, there was a lull in my acting career. Uh, after a mutual Fonz? friend uh, After the Fonz, yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, I, I literally thought I was going to beat the system, that the, the Fonz was so popular, so big, I was going to go from mountaintop to mountaintop. And I found myself sliding right into the valley. Hmm. And a a mutual friend suggested I write books about my dyslexia. And I said, I can't do that. He said, I'm going to introduce you to my good friend, Lynn Oliver, who who started the Society of Children's Book Writers and Illustrators that now have like 37,000 members around the world. And we had lunch and we hatched Hank Zipser to begin with. And here we are. Right. All these all these books later, 
and for both of you, enormously successful, which, you know, it's not so easy in the world of books. Well, it's been, it's, it's been a, a really satisfying journey because we hope that what we write about, I was, I was so thrilled, Joan, to hear your introduction where you talked about how in reading Alien Superstar, what, what the thought that occurred to you was that how important it is to value our differences and to know that each person is different and unique. And so that's, that's what we write about. That's the underlying theme of, even though we write comedy and entertainment, that's the underlying theme of everything we write about. So it's been satisfying not only to have the book so commercially successful, but to know that they're reaching an audience of kids who need to hear that message. Right. And especially Henry, who describes really having a tough struggle academically in school, although he found his way, he was gifted as an actor. But Henry, you were a grown-up before they understood that you weren't a terrible student. You suffered from dyslexia, and it right. just hadn't been recognized. Right. Uh, I'm when I married Stacy. Uh, uh, Jed, my oldest, uh, my stepson, came with the marriage, a wonderful gift, and we had him tested in the third grade. And everything they said to him was true about me. And it was at 31, I realized I wasn't stupid, that I literally had something with a name. Right. And then Lynn and I created um, a character together over bad fish in a restaurant um, mm. that would embody that little boy's journey. And then out of that came Ghost Buddy, and then out of that came... Uh, the alien superstar. And this is the, the third in a trilogy. But I like to say that we write our books, so they're fun to read, all three of them, but this you could also read as a standalone, and uh, it would be satisfying. Yeah, absolutely. And for the parent as well as for the child, because yeah. it reinforces... Those lessons that sometimes parents, in their zeal to have successful children, forget. So I was really impressed with all of that. Thank you. And, of course, Henry, in, in your journey, you talk about your family, too. And even though I had heard the story about your dad leaving to come to America, I never get tired of hearing that story. The melted chocolate and the jewelry. It's right. still so an extraordinary story. My father got a six-week visa to come to America to uh, explore his business, which was importing and exporting wood. Uh, as they left Germany, he took his wife, um, my, my mother's jewelry, and my, my grandmother's jewelry, bought a box of chocolate, melted down the chocolate, and then poured it over the jewelry— let it harden. So when the Nazis said, are you taking anything of value out of the country? He said, no, open all my bags. There's nothing. And under his arm was this box of chocolate. He then pawned the jewelry when he got to New York. That allowed him to start a new life here. And then he was able to buy the jewelry back. And on my bar mitzvah, I got my great-grandfather's pocket watch that came out of Germany encased in chocolate. Unbelievable. You know, I never get tired of that story because Thank you. it's it's all about ingenuity, too. Who, th who would it think is. of such a thing? I'm such, you know, so pessimistic sometimes. I would think that the Nazis would say, oh, that looks good. Let's have a piece. <laughs> Thank God they didn't. They were on a diet. <laughs> you, you, they lucked out in that particular group. But both Henry and Lynn, everyone has turning points in life. And Henry, you started working fairly early. And then when the Fonz came about, you know, who expected that would be such a big deal? I still remember giving my husband a birthday party of a high school prom because he said he never went to his own prom, and almost oh. all the guests came like you. They were all oh wearing God, leather jackets, you know, that's all the stuff. It was such a power force then. 
And it took a while for it to catch on, but once it caught, that was yes, it. Yes, really. Yeah. And and Lynn and I, what we did was, as we travel around the, the world, really, and the country, and go into classrooms and talk to the children, read to the children, every, the kids are fascinated by Hollywood. And what is it? And they're, and they're fascinated by outer space. And so we took the two and we put them together in this book, Alien Superstar, Hollywood versus the Galaxy. And then Lynn has produced and written um, uh, hundreds of episodes of television. I've been on television. So we wrote what we knew. And the combination has been magical. What you do is you think about what, what where children are already interested. And as Henry said, all kids are fascinated with space and space creatures. And most kids are fascinated with celebrity, with what it's really like to be a, a Hollywood superstar. So when we put those two ideas together, we created the story of an alien kid who's from a red dwarf planet out in the universe who has to flee his repressive government. And he gets into a rocket ship that's built by his engineer grandmother, Grandma Wrinkle, and goes <laughs> to the only place in the universe that feels safe, which is Earth. And his spaceship lands on the back lot of Universal Studios, where the tour is going on. And so when he disembarks from his spaceship as an alien, he fits right in because everybody else who's walking around is dressed as a character. So it's the story of his life on Earth as an alien in uh, hidden in plain sight. Right, and becoming sort of a hero in the world of media. Yeah. Which is fascinating. But, Lynn, when, you know, a lot of kids, everyone, like where my kids grew up, they all want to be actors, writers, you know, easier said than done. So even though you were telling stories from the time you were a wee child, what was the break where someone said this kid can really or this young woman can really write and took your first book? What was that well, process? It's kind of, you know, it's kind of like Henry, whose parents, you know, wanted him to be in the family business. Right. You know, my parents, well, my father was a lawyer and my mother was a doctor. So the fact that they had a child who wanted to be a writer with an uncertain future and as my father pointed out to me repeatedly, a job with no health insurance, right. <laughs> <laughs> that was very alarming to them. So it took, a lot of pers it took a lot of persistence to convince him that I was willing to take the health insurance risk in order to try and succeed in my dream, which was to, which was to be a writer. And so I, I persisted. Something we talk to kids about is if there's something you want to do, you have to practice. You have to practice to get good at it. It doesn't just happen. So I wrote all through grammar school. I was editor of my high school paper. I was editor of my college paper. I won a journalism contest. And then I won a comedy writing contest to, to, to work in Hollywood writing sitcoms. So I persisted all those years practicing to, to try and achieve the skill to succeed. So I, I guess the, the turning point for me was was when I got to work at Universal Studios as a as a writer producer, that sort of established me in my own eyes and certainly in my father's eyes because it came with health insurance. Exactly, <laughs> the things that everyone cared about, right? That's right. That's right. So, and then Henry, you after the Fonz, which was a huge run and life changing, life changing. And like a lot of my pals who are actors who have been on TV or sitcoms or stuff, the, it was always the same story. I got to get rid of this character now or I'm not going to get work again. And what did it take for you to jump over the Fonz, which was so good to you, to the next well, step? Well, first of all, not denying that I, that I had this wonderful experience playing Fonzie on Happy Days. But what I had to do then was to take another direction, and you have to reinvent yourself. So part of my compensation for Fonz was to be able to produce a show if ABC liked it. 
if I brought them a show they liked. And thank God the first show we brought them was uh, MacGyver. Yeah, which was a big deal. Uh, and it turned out to uh, to work. And then I started to direct a little bit. And then in 1991, uh, Happy Days finished in 1983. In 1991, I started to get acting roles that were not Fonz-like. And then in 2002, I met Lynn and, and we um, started that. writing together. And then all of a sudden, I was a fledgling um, writer of children's books. Right. Uh, a turnaround. And now, Barry, a movie, you're in a Wes Anderson movie. Yes, it comes out on the 22nd. It's called The French Dispatch. Yeah. And um, I, I just want to say it is an honor that I got to be, that I got the call to be in a Wes Anderson movie. I get that totally. You know, I was standing on the on the set, and he said, Henry, and I thought, oh, my God. Oh, my God. He's going to give me a direction now. I'm going to be directed <laughs> by Wes Anderson. And he said, could you move a millimeter to the left? And I said, yes, I can. Here I go. Oh, it's so funny. I have a pal, a Bob Balaban, who— Oh, my God. He's my brother. He he's said, my brother in the movie. He, he said that because we were just talking about you guys coming on with Alien Superstar— and he said, and I had mentioned your name. He said, you know, I just did a movie with him. And that was the Wes Anderson movie, which yeah. is, you know, like I worship Wes Anderson too. Just knowing that you were in that movie is such a big deal. The guy's such a genius. Oh, my God. Uh, I mean, to watch him. You know, there are no stand-ins. So you do all of that. You stand there for two or three hours while he is setting up the shot until it is perfect for him. And I whispered to Bob. I said, Bob, I have an idea for Wes. Should I tell him? And Bob whooped his head around and said, no. And so I was really quiet then for the rest of the show. <laughs> but uh, we're, uh, Lynn and I are not quiet when we're writing uh, Alien Superstars. Together or separate? Together. Now, because of the pandemic, we had to do some of it on the Zoom. But for years, uh, we were in Lynn's office. Uh, I sit across from her, uh, and we argue over every word. So we we discuss every word, Henry. Right. We discuss every word. Vigorously. And then <laughs> does someone say okay and gives in? Both. We I, I literally sometimes uh Lynn said, you know what, I hear it this way or I no 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 no, I really need it to I, I need to use this word here. I think this is the right word. And sometimes I say the same thing. I no no no, I, I really need to hear the rhythm. Uh, of the way the sentence goes. And uh, so we both give it. And Henry, in addition to all these books and the brand new one we're celebrating, Alien Superstar, Hollywood versus the Galaxy, you've got TV stuff. You've got all kinds of things in the mill. Well, last night at 10 o'clock, I finished um, a scene on Barry, the, the season three. Unbelievable. Yeah. I'm telling you, it's like, uh, it, it, God reached down and said, Henry, this is going to be a great time for you. <clears throat> but it's been a great time for a long time, and may it continue. Thank you. And we just had a granddaughter. Oh, what's so exciting. Oh, my God. Frances Joan is eight days old. Wow. And where where does Frances Joan live? Is she an L.A. granddaughter? All of our children. We now have six grandchildren. Lynn has four. Three. And Three. actors, writers in the mix? I don't know. You know what? I think maybe, uh, yes, Gus, the um, my my three-year-old grandson, is a, just a born performer. Oh. It is totally natural. How great. And what about your kids, Lynn? Actors, I have, writers? I have three sons. Only one is a writer. Uh -huh. One one is uh, in real estate and urban planning, and one is in sports. And then I have 
three grandchildren. It's too young to know what they are, but I'm happy to report that I'm coming to New York in two weeks, and I'm taking my eight-year-old granddaughter to her very first Broadway play. Oh, what are you she taking loves her to? Broadway, and so we are creating this memory together, and I'm so grateful for that. What are you taking her to see? Well, I gave her a choice, and she chose, of course, Hamilton, because she of can course. rap. All the lyrics. Oh, you're kidding. All about Lafayette and people I'm sure she's never heard of. She can do it word for word for the entire three-hour production. Unbelievable. And when I saw Hamilton, I literally had to listen to the score before I went over and over again, before I could make sense of it. So God bless that child. (laughs) That's exactly right. She's at the moment, as we're speaking, shopping for a new dress and Fishnet oh, to wear to her first Broadway What show. else? Have a yeah. wonderful trip to New York, Henry. Loved Thank you. catching up with you and both Always of you. Always a pleasure, Joan. Love the book. Thank and the you. book is available in all the bookstores, everywhere you buy books. Alien Superstar, Hollywood versus the Galaxy. Two great people with wonderful stories. Henry Winkler, Lynn Oliver. Enjoy everything. I'm Joan Hamburg, and you're listening to WABC. The First Lady of New York Radio. This is Ask Joan. If you only have a limited time to do certain things during the holiday season, what's fun? What should you do? We get this a lot. And this is the time to do things that give you pleasure, where you can see the amazing things that happen in Manhattan. Manhattan puts on its fancy coat of sparkling lights and all kinds of holiday effects. There's a new holiday play called A Sherlock Carol. It's written and directed by actually a friend of my son's, Mark Shanahan, a very talented guy. And it's at New World Stages, 340 West 50th Street. I think you're going to really enjoy this. And it got very good reviews. It's something that's on my list. It's sort of, as I think the Times said, a mixture of Dickens and Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, this Sherlock Carroll. So, you know what? Add this to your list. Amusing, funny, happy, all the things that you want when you go to theater. And by the way, happy Hanukkah. Today is the start. And everything else is started, too, in New York. Macy's, Herald Square, literally unveiled its holiday window display. And the theme is about a blue reindeer called Tiptoe, who dreams of helping Santa's friend Joy around the world. Bloomies, Bergdorf Goodman, Tiffany and Company, Saks Fifth Avenue, all stores along Fifth Avenue now have their window displays. And the tree lighting, well, you may have missed that, but it's amazing to see it. And I have to tell you, The time to really appreciate it is dusk or when it starts getting dark and the tree is ablaze in fabulous lights. So it's amazing. It's something you are really going to enjoy. And the official tree lighting, December 1st at 8 o'clock, and it's quite wonderful. And a lot of people go to Saks and watch it out the window if it's going to be cold. But it's something I always love. And the Botanical Gardens on Southern Boulevard in the Bronx, they're celebrating the holiday season with the 30th year of the holiday train show and the return of NYBG Glow, the garden's outdoor color and light experience. Big time now for the second year. And you can see both on some evenings with advanced tickets. I think you're really going to like that. It's an incredible experience. The kids adore it. The tickets aren't so cheap, but it's worth it because it's fun. 
and you can always enjoy the Botanic Gardens. You can go to the holiday shops at Bryant Park, ice skating. That's always fun, and you love that. And also, there are vendors. The holiday shops have 170 vendors, and it's all through these little kiosks, and you can enjoy crafts and provisions and gifts and food. By the way, if you bring your own skates, the rink is free. Go to bryantpark.org. And the Union Square Holiday Market, I love that, has 150 vendors, and that's open. So you've got a lot of things going on and a lot of things you're going to enjoy. So come in, enjoy the holidays. Try not to bring your car in. It's been a nightmare with cars. It's like, what happened? Everyone is driving their cars in. It isn't just commercial cars. Parking is terrible because they have bike stands everywhere in the city. So try to take public transportation. But definitely add to your list a visit to the Big Apple because the Big Apple is shining bright again. We're coming up to the 3 o'clock. Thank you so much for sharing the Joan Hamburg Show. I hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving. Again, happy Hanukkah. Christmas is creeping up upon us, but you can enjoy yourself all day long right here on WABC. This is Greg Kelly for Priority Gold. What does it mean to be America's precious metals dealer? It means that you're in touch with the hearts and minds of those who love this country, value our freedom, and want to protect the future. Priority Gold is that precious metals dealer. They've helped thousands of Americans back their retirement with solid gold and silver. Call Priority Gold at 888-506-6439. Receive free shipping, free storage, a free investment guide, and one of the best purchase experiences in the industry. Call now or go to PriorityGold.com.